This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 405 for Wednesday, June 16th, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan, and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we are into. Joining me this week, Alistair McFly is back. You can find him at Alistair McFly on all the social media that matters, including Twitch, and on his new podcast, Long Range Sensors at longrangesensors.com, which is about Star Trek, and we're going to fill you in about that in a little bit. Hello, sir. Hello. Fantastic to be back here as well. Yeah, happy to have you back. The last time you were on was actually the Christmas special that we do. We kind of had a roundtable with a, a bunch of friends of the show. And I'm embarrassed it's taken this long <laughs> to get back. Uh, it's just, it's, I, I think, and you and I living in the same region can probably speak to this, but uh, we went through and are coming out of a second lockdown with uh, the COVID-19 pandemic here in Nova Scotia. Mm. And uh, rightly so, like I agree with all of the restrictions that were put in place, despite how hard it is for everyone. But I have found specifically, we even have an email to this a little bit later in the show, um, that the second lockdown really has affected me more than the first. Uh, I think mm. it's just because of the length of time we've been dealing with COVID. But I've just, I've found creatively speaking, and even just kind of like, taking the initiative on some projects has just not been it doesn't have the same drive that it normally does uh this time around and so uh a few things have just kind of been i don't want to say sliding but just like a little bit harder to keep the the pedal going you know on the bike yeah um and i don't know if you've experienced that as well it's interesting because for me the first one was actually the harder one interesting huh I think the difference is because I managed to finally get a car here in Canada. Right, that's um, right. Which, uh, when when you're from abroad and uh, there's and you haven't driven in a little while, suddenly there's no driving history. So I get a full license given to me by the government, but the insurance companies just charge me up the wazoo. Yeah, uh, like thousands of dollars worth, which was nuts. But I finally got in a car. So for me, I've been able to actually go and explore. I've been loading up the All Trails app and just nice. picking a place at random. And then two minutes later, I'm in the car and I'm going exploring. And I've had long range sensors that uh, I've been developing since uh, the uh, middle of February. So I guess that for me, this second lockdown, I've had a little bit more to do. Mm. in a way so i think that's where it's different for me whereas the the first one i felt was far more isolating just having a car just gives you the sense of so much more freedom oh yeah no the car helps with the the, these four walls syndrome i think uh a lot that's that's it and i saw i saw some posts that you shared actually in in the discord uh about the the ovens provincial park uh in nova scotia oh yeah how was that oh that is a beautiful place uh it's really good they've um uh, some it's basically like a cliff face just right by the sea and they've got some caves that you can go into which is really good i just went on all trails i was just like i wonder if there's any caves nearby and yeah absolutely stunning place um 
with it being, uh, you know, during the pandemic, there was barely anybody there, which was really good. Mm. And when I arrived, I did not know this because one, I didn't know you had to pay to get in. It's not much though. Um, it's only something like $10 or so, but they'd only just opened that day. So oh, my wow. timing was perfect. It, it would have been disappointing to get there and then be like, oh, they're closed. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah not, it's not a long fortunate. drive, but it's long enough that it would be a kind of frustrating if you didn't realize. Yeah. Yeah. Still a, a, a beautiful drive to get down there. And one thing that I found out is that they do kayaking tours where they will actually take you kayaking into the caves. So that's something that I definitely want to go back and do later uh, when things are opening up a, a little bit better. Nice. Where they can actually do that kind of stuff. Have you, um, have you, I know you've been to Peggy's Cove and and been recently uh, with your with your new wheels and freedom. Um, that was the first place I went, actually. <laughs> nice. Uh, when you go, do you take the main highway or do you take the coastal highway when you go? Um, I tend to take the coastal highway. Okay, cool. Uh, the coastal, just because it's it's so much more scenic, and and that's the thing. Now that I've got the car, the whole point of it is mm -hmm. just to try and explore and see more of Nova Scotia. I've gone as far as I can on foot. I then bought myself a bicycle and I've been about as far as I can get on that. <laughs> so it, it's it's nice to finally be able to stretch out a little bit further. And one place that I really want to go to in the fall is Cape Breton. I've been trying to go for the last few years. Nice. But when you don't have a vehicle of your own and you're having to rely on other people. Yeah. Um, especially it's a big when ask. one year yeah, one year friends got sick, uh, another year um one of them broke their arm and then the next year they just got a new puppy so they just weren't really able to go traveling mm -hmm. and they, you know that kind of distance for that amount of time and um yeah so there's always been something that's come up whereas now i have a car i have the feeling to go to cape Breton, which apparently is gorgeous in in the autumn yes the no 100 uh skyline trail and there's a number, number of other things that i have on my list that i'd like to do in, in cape breton as well um, and you and I have done some hiking even uh, recently in Muscadabit. Uh, well, I say recently. Yeah. It was the last time I went on a big hike. That was like two years ago. Um, but uh, there's other trails around that area. Yeah. No, it was, it was, I think it was 2019. Um, and then the, um, there's a couple of other trails along the East Coast. And even one uh, that I can recommend uh, that's out near the airport. So again, small drive, like a little bit of a drive, but not, not a long time. Uh, to get like a, a decent hike in if you wanted to go, especially with the hours now being longer after work hours. Like people can still go for a decent hike around here, uh, like a two hour hike if you're off at work at five. Like you can still get out and back mm. before it's even close to being dark, which is like 8.30. So depending on how close the hike is. And uh, and you and I have done Duncan's Cove before. That's a great one. Before now, we've been kind of relying on you being able to borrow your parents' car. Whereas yeah. now with me having a car, there's a, a lot more flexibility there. It's funny, you know, I don't, it's been so long that I, like, I don't even think about the fact that I don't have a car most of the time. And it's a weird thing to say. I mean, some people that are listening might just like, wait, what? It's like, yes, I'm over 40 and I've never, <laughs> I've never owned a vehicle. I've always just had access to one or, um, the ability to rent one in, in real need. Um, for that kind of thing. And uh, I mean, I'll say for a number of reasons, including things like insurance, upkeep costs, all that kind of stuff. It just wasn't in the mm. cards. And, you know, unique situation. Uh, I don't have any dependents. I don't have any kids. And I, and I don't have, um, 
I don't have the, the need to travel outside the home for work. And when I did, it was so seldom. It was like once or twice a week. I didn't like it did, just didn't justify a, a car. There were lots of times in the rain and the snow and the sleet and the sideways stuff that I wished I had one. Uh, but it never just like the ends just didn't justify the means. So I've always been able to just kind of avoid that cost, which has been, which has been nice. But you know, it gets frustrating in the same way, like when the nice summer weather comes and I want to go for hikes or if I want to go out and do something that I am kind of like hamstrung by like what's in the city, what can I bust to that kind of thing. And really, despite things looking a little bit better these days, I'm still not comfortable taking public transit during the pandemic. Like it's not high on my yeah. list. I'd much rather, I'd much rather just sit in the car with someone I know and trust, you know, and just do it that way. <laughs> uh, it's a lot, lot easier on, on the head anyway. One of the reasons I brought up the uh, coastal highway is because just before you get to Peggy's Cove, uh, and this won't mean anything to our international listeners, but uh, Polly's Cove is actually a, a, a nice little hiking trail just before Peggy's. You can actually see Peggy's Cove from Polly's Cove, depending on how high up you are. Uh, so if you're looking for something that's close to the city, it's less of a trail and more like a walkabout like this. It's kind of open. You can kind of see all the trails from where you're standing on some of the tops of the rocks, but it's really pretty. And because it's like not a big tourist location, you're going to run into even less people, which is nice because sometimes Peggy's Cove can be pretty crowded on a weekend or whatever. You're still going to find some yeah. locals that, of course, know this. And so you'll run into some people. Uh, at Polly's Cove, but it's it's spread out in a way that you don't have to be on top of one another, which is which is nice if you're looking to get a kind of get away. Uh, it's just it's less of a specific hike and more like a nice wander about on some on some rocks, not not oceanside rocks, but like cliff faces and like higher up stuff, uh, which is really really cool. And I, I always try to plug it to people because it's one of those overlooked places that just like so many great photo opportunities specifically later in the year when the light is lower it's it's really really pretty there that's what i want that's what i need is the, mm. is those little insights the the little nooks and crannies that you just normally wouldn't know about that only the locals do so this is the first time that we've had you back on since you started long range sensors how's that going man uh really well um, it's, we're, we're doing good. It's, um, it, it's for those who aren't familiar, it's a Star Trek retrospective that I do with my friend Trevor, who I know from living in London. Uh, we talk about things that we remember growing up with, uh, with Star Trek. Um, and in some cases that's with a very British centric view. For example, Next Generation didn't air in the UK until two years after it came out in North America. Oh, so, wow. There's even been differences there that we've uh, that we've talked about, um, and and then for the bulk of the episode, we pick up uh, an episode on long range sensors for us to reflect on together, and it's 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 been really cool. Uh, we've been focusing on Star Trek from the 1966 original series, all the way up until the end of Enterprise in 2005, just for for now, which is is great because I get to reminisce about all the old Star Trek on my podcast. And then I get to come to talk to you on here on the Citadel Cafe about all the new Star Trek. Right. Yeah. So it's brilliant for me. <laughs> I just get to talk about a lot of Star Trek. And because our show is more of a retrospective, our hope is that people who are kind of currently getting into Star Trek will be able to listen back to our show later on without it ever feeling dated at all. Because it's all looking back 
Yeah, it's always really yeah, it's always looking back. Yeah, it's consistent. That's cool. I, yeah. Speaking yeah. of new Star Trek, not to get too sidetracked, but like, hmm. how, is Discovery season three that's done now, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, they've uh, well, season three is already aired. Season four, they've got a trailer out for, so oh. that's pretty much filmed, and they're doing post production on it. So, um, and then. I'm behind. Mm-hmm. I stopped watching around the last time we were on the show talking about it, which I think was in the fall <laughs> right. with James the Civilian. Uh, and I and I think yeah. that uh, I watched enough to keep up and talk with you guys, but then I just, I for whatever reason, I didn't return to it. And I don't know why. It wasn't like I didn't like it. I think it was just being pulled in too many different directions. I really like season three. And I cool. feel that it's continuing the the tradition that star trek has had ever since the next generation which is that seasons one and two is it really finding its footing which discovery really had to because of all the production mess at the very beginning right um but season three is kind of where these shows tend to find their stride and really set up what they're going to be like and it certainly felt that way uh with, with that i'm looking forward to the new one as well yeah they've just been filming episode eight of Strange New Worlds. Uh, wow. One of the directors uh, was posting a photo of the uh, the clapperboard. And uh, so, yeah, they're, they're up to episode eight, which puts them at just over halfway through the season. It's really strange that Star Trek is now pushing a number of series at once. I know they've done it before with Deep Space Nine and Next Generation. Uh, and was did Voyager start before Deep Space Nine ended? I don't remember. Um, yeah, there, there was an overlap um so you had next generation and then deep space nine then next generation went off the air and voyager then came on Um, right so yeah they had they had a bit of overlap there uh the enterprise d arrives at deep space nine in the deep space nine pilot and voyager leaves deep space nine in voyager's pilot so they actually do a little bit of a crossover even at the station huh so with uh strange new worlds i guess the major difference is that I mean, Discovery is just like so far in the future now. Like it's kind of way out there. So they're really not going to have hmm. much of an overlap. And I guess in a way that's good in that in the same way that Deep Space Nine was a station and all of the, you know, operations and politics that went around with that versus being on an exploratory starship. Um, yeah. the, the differences between discovery and how they're going to be delivering different things to the audience is that discovery is just so far in the future and so we'll say far out there for the lack of a better way to say it um that a a more rooted um strange new worlds series that's the name of it right yes yeah Yeah. uh is is going to offer something completely different i mean and i'm also just a huge huge fan of anson mount uh and and uh and uh, pike and i mean how he pre- i mean i like the character pike anyway but like anson mount has did you ever watch um oh gosh hell on wheels do you ever watch that show i didn't know oh dude it while you're waiting for for star trek <laughs> strange new worlds to come out go back and watch hell on wheels uh wherever you okay. can find it i think it might be h i don't know whether it's hbo or stars or something uh, Anyway, it's Western. I have both. So yeah, it's Western and he stars, he stars in it. And it is probably the best Western show that I've seen on TV. I mean, Westworld was good, but Westworld also had like a huge sci-fi twist to it. But, but, um, but this was just straight up like turn of the 19th century 
you know, um, Western stuff. Like it was really, really well done. Well acted by so many people, uh, including, oh, I'm gonna, you're going to have to fill me in on the name. He played O'Brien in um, Next Generation. Colmini. Colmini. I always forget his name. He's in it. He's in it. He plays he plays the the twisted town magistrate guy. He's not he's not a nice person. Um and so it's an interesting role for him as well. Nice. No, I definitely need to check that one out then. For sure. So for me on the podcast front, actually, I do have a little bit of news to share. Uh, thanks to my co-host, Johnny uh, Pixel Revs on the Spawn Chunks. Uh, he has been in touch with a number of the developers that work at Mojang Studios that make Minecraft. And we have a guest on the show next week. And that is going to be Brandon Pierce. Some of you might know him better as at King B Dogs on Twitter. Uh, he's one of the Minecraft developers, and he's also someone that listens to the Spawn Chunks. And uh, between uh, writing us and letting us know how much he enjoyed the show and uh, talking with Johnny behind the scenes, we've been able to set up uh, an interview with uh, with Brandon next week. So we're really looking forward to that. We're hoping that um, we're going to get some really cool insight because most of the time Johnny and I are making educated guesses as to the reasons why things happen in Minecraft or the challenges that the developers face. And it's going to be an opportunity for us to, to actually talk with one <laughs> uh, and, and someone who has been um, on camera before he was part of the Minecraft live presentation last fall. Uh, he's been very involved and in tweeting uh, quite a lot about the deep dark, which is a, a new thing that's going to be hopefully coming to Minecraft later on this year. Um, knock on wood. And so uh, while he can't reveal any uh, obviously development secrets, uh, it's going to be really fun to talk to uh, Brandon about the stuff that's already come out. Because as I mentioned last week on uh, the Citadel Cafe, uh, Caves and Cliffs Part 1 was released on the 8th of June. So all of that stuff is now public and, and can be talked about. So it's going to be a really fun conversation with Brandon. That should be episode 146 of the Spawn Chunks. You can find that over at thespawnchunks.com. If you are a Minecraft player or you happen to know one, uh, we're trying to grow the show. So if you want to bring in some new ear holes to that podcast, I would greatly appreciate it. And I think uh, the interview with Brandon is going to be a great kind of jumping off point for, for new listeners. Moving on to email, we have a message this week coming in from Dan C. Barbecue and Art Motivation. Hi, Joel and co-host. I've been listening to episode 403 recently and wanted to recommend that you try to also smoke vegetables. Ages ago, my former flatmate's dad brought over a homemade spread made from smoked eggplant and garlic. Let me tell you, this stuff was mind-blowing. He told me that they simply threw on a ton of eggplants on the grill after barbecuing and put a lid over it. Once they were done, they scooped them out, mixed with crushed garlic and probably a bit of mayonnaise. Not really quite sure anymore as it's been a decade. Also, you mentioned that you find it hard to find motivation to draw for yourself when you're already drawing on your job. Well, I know the feeling, albeit differently. I'm a software dev and I used to tinker with my PCs 24-7, but now that it's been my full-time job for a while, I also find it increasingly challenging to find motivation to do similar things that I do at my day job at home. That's one of the catches of turning your hobby into your job. I'm afraid I don't know, uh, know a solution for either, but then again, is it so bad to use your time differently? I am honestly not sure. While I like to tinker more with the huge amount of hardware on my desk, I can now bake a pretty amazing pizza and I work out more. 
which probably works out for the amount of pizza that you're eating, Dan. Uh, keep up the, the podcast. As always, I love to listen. Dan, thanks so much for the great email, Dan. I, I really appreciate the uh, the tips on some barbecuing stuff and uh, and also definitely identify with some of the things you're talking about with like doing your hobby for your day job. I can't say that I'm the biggest fan of eggplant. <laughs> uh, I don't know about you, Alistair. Uh, I, I've not really had an eggplant done in a way that I like, but I do really like garlic. <laughs> and I feel like garlic could potentially overpower what I don't like about the eggplant. So I'm going to do some research. I'm going to see if I can find um, find a recipe because a lot of times when I'm cooking with charcoal, when I'm done, the fire just doesn't go out instantly like propane. You have to like lid the barbecue and, and close the vents. But if you have enough coal there that's not worth saving, but it's still worth cooking on, having some extra vegetables to use to make like an eggplant dip or, or something uh, I think would be really, really cool. I'll have to check that out. Uh, I uh, I have grilled broccoli, but it's been direct. It's not been smoked. It's just been straight up right over the coals, which is fantastic. It's no different than broiling things in your oven. Uh, I want to do some stuffed peppers. That's on my list as well. Uh, but vegetables are definitely on my list. Uh, I've been making some potatoes uh, lately on the barbecue, which have, have always come out very, very well. And uh, my most recent adventure has been I did eight large Italian smoked meatballs on the, the Weber kettle this past Sunday. They turned out incredible. Uh, it, they're like hamburgers, but much, much, much better. Uh, so I'll be doing those again in the future as well. They're also really easy. I, I'm, a, I'm a kind of, I wish I had tried the meatballs earlier. They probably would have upped my confidence in knowing what I was doing with the barbecue and smoking. Uh, but it's a nice thing to have in the rep- repertoire because it's an easy thing to do and you can feed quite a lot of people. Like it was probably, it could have been a meal for eight people with enough sides. You would only really need like one meatball because one meatball the way that I had it divided up was probably a little bit more than a quarter pound. So it was like a really hearty hamburger. And if you had enough sides, it was going to work things out. Um, I Talking about doing your hobby for your day job, this is something that I, I really wanted to hammer home. I really liked your comment about, is it so bad to use your time differently? And I think that's something that I often forget. I don't know about you, Alistair. Like if you have something that you're doing either professionally or it's turned into a side hustle do you find it hard to also do that like on your own time like for fun i i have yeah um it's one of the reasons why i never really got into some specific areas of computing and went into others uh web development was a big thing that i i started doing and started to realize that I wasn't enjoying it at home. I'm also a perfectionist when it comes to web development, and it would get me so frustrated. So I was getting frustrated professionally. I was getting frustrated in my personal life. And so it was just frustration all around for something that I enjoyed, which is oddly bizarre. I think it was more the end result that I enjoyed um, getting to. But yeah, I, I can definitely, definitely relate to it. And... Um, but one thing that I've kind of felt as I've kind of navigated through a lot of that myself is that if your hobby is your job, which it kind of is for me from my current role, um, it does push you to find new hobbies. And then it just means that you have a life full of hobbies. So that's not necessarily a bad thing, especially if it means more pizza. If your hobby results in more pizza... <laughs> That is a very good 
thing to have. So yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I have this issue with, with streaming. I mean, I'm going to use that as an example because it's got a little bit more variety to it, but like, I, I know what Dan means about like, for me, well, I draw and design and create things, uh, for part of my living. I don't really draw and design and create things for fun anymore because it's always, even when I was doing Starcross, I was trying to fold that into my business and try to make it a leg of, of my, mm. my income streams. And I find that that works in two ways. One, it's a nice motivator. Like if you've got this as a sustainable part of your income, then it helps you continue to make sure you hit those beats every week for those, you know, new comics or, or new podcasts, for example. Um, but I find too, that, uh, a lot of what I do with my content creation, which I mean, creating content in itself is a satisfying outlet for the creative impulses that I have. I've discovered as I've grown older that I don't just want to express myself through visual art, like podcasting is a form of creation, streaming and doing YouTube videos and, and sharing that content um, is a form of creation, as is the main video game I play and you play as well, Minecraft. So in a in a way that's almost cannibalized my my time to draw on my own uh is the the creativity that's involved in some of the gaming and some of the other things that i do um but i also find uh especially since buying the xbox like i had a bunch of time where i was absolutely dead of winter canada like why not i'm just going to enjoy some extra time on this on this brand new thing that i invested in <laughs> and i'm not saying that the new shiny is worn off because i was just playing um a game called with uh with honor the other day it's an older game from like 2017 and i wanted to try it out it looked really fun part of xbox game pass it didn't cost me anything it just you know it's there i might as well download it and try it and um it's complicated i, I I'm, I'm not going to judge it yet because i've only ever done the tutorial and then i had to go to bed but um but as i was playing it or as i was making the decision to play it I feel this little bit of guilt that I'm playing a video game. I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing new content and I'm not sharing it. I'm not streaming. Yeah. And it's a weird, I... weird feeling. And I don't like it because it means that like when I sit down to like, I've been putting <laughs> off playing some games and, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean streaming because, um, I can't stream from my Xbox. I could probably try to set it up, but I don't want to. Like the idea is that I want to mm. be able to couch game and not have to worry about that kind of stuff. But there's still this weird guilt, especially because there's a couple of games like um, Forza Horizon 4, uh, Skyrim, um, even Ori in the Blind Forest, which I've played a little bit more of, uh, that uh, my girlfriend Laura really likes as well. And either likes to play, likes to watch play, um, or vice versa, I like to watch her play. And when I have one of those sessions, I think like, oh, I should really try to save this for a time when she's available and we can do this together. And hmm. I think part of it is that I just really like sharing video games with people and sharing those experiences more than I like playing them on my own. Um, yes. And I do yeah. have a hard time like justifying getting in there, even though I know that there's a couple of Star Wars titles that they're just single player. There's absolutely no multiplayer facet to them. And I just need to or want to explore those. And should probably do that when I'm struggling to find something on Netflix or can't find something, you know, on Amazon prime that I want to watch over dinner. What I should do is maybe just like eat outside. And then when it gets dark, come in and play a star Wars video game for, you know, an hour or two, rather than trying to find something similar content wise to entertain me. Uh, but I know you would have some, I guess, parallel feelings on this because you yeah. <laughs> having essentially a home <laughs> arcade now, um, but do. 
like during a <laughs> pandemic, I mean, I'm assuming you've been playing by yourself because I don't know if there's a lot of people yes. coming over, right? That I've not had anybody come over to play at them. I, it's 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 one of those things where playing arcade games solo is fun. And it's definitely become a very expensive hobby for me. <laughs> but um, a lot of the games are designed to be multiplayer. Um, I've got like the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade. Like it's a four player game. I can play it solo, but I'd really prefer to have other people here. So I've, I've been finding myself playing some of the actual single player games a little bit more. So things like Miss Pac-Man or Dig Dug 2, or um, Galaga. I've been playing some of those classics because those were really turn-based. Like, you'd have player one go, and then you'd switch over for player two rather than it being simultaneous play. Right. So I've been doing a lot of that. And one of the things that's good about my X-Men uh, versus Street Fighter arcade is that that's Wi-Fi enabled, so you can play multiplayer online. Oh, cool. I'm just not good enough yet <laughs> no those those competitive games especially games that have been around long enough to have like an e-sport around them i yeah, yeah i don't have any fun online because you just get your face I, yeah. handed to you right that's it i i had one go got my face handed to me and it's just like i'm gonna practice on my own for a while <laughs> until i feel i can actually play it online so great feature but uh, but I do like that it's free. They they don't charge you any extra for the online stuff. Well, so that's really cool. So is that yeah. just is that just arcade machine to arcade machine? Or are you connecting with other people on like consoles and stuff? No, it's not cross platform. It's just arcade machine to arcade machine. But okay. when you buy it, they, it's a service that they have that's just there, free, always there. Nice, which is really cool. So it's kind of baked into the price. Yeah, but um, unfortunately, what you get there is also the people that are willing to put up the premium price for these home arcade cabinets, which means they're probably pretty serious Street Fighter fans and probably pretty yeah. good. Yeah, that's the one thing I wish that well, they have Xbox... no self control like me. So. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I wish that Xbox Game Pass had was a decent fighting game. Soul Calibur Four or something is one of them, and I I downloaded it. I tried it. It was awful. Uh, there's an X-Men mm. one uh, versus Capcom, but it was really, it wasn't very good. Like, I really want a Street Fighter game for Xbox, but it's, it, and there are, like, it's available. It's just that I have to go buy it rather than um, just playing it through uh, Xbox Game Pass. Because I don't well, know how much use I would get out of it. I just kind of want to have a couple of rounds from time to time. Well, you should come over. I've got one of the, um, uh, it's a... Uh... Oh, I've forgotten what the actual term of it is now. It's a head-to-head -head cabinet. Oh, so yeah. sat at a table. Yeah. And it's all Street Fighter. It's, it's fantastic. Very, very yeah. cool. Uh, now that restrictions are, are lifting, we'll have to add a number of things to our to-do list. <laughs> Absolutely. In-person gaming people in 2021. Who, who would have thought, <laughs> right? Moving on to what we have been watching, uh, the big conversation this week is more than likely going to be about Superman and Lois. But uh, what do you think we get the couple of quick hits out of the way first? Yeah, sounds good. So I've got a recommendation. Uh, I don't want to get too into it. There's not going to be any spoilers because I've only watched uh, the first three episodes. Sweet Tooth hmm. is a new series on Netflix. Uh, it's based on a DC slash Vertigo comic series. Uh, of the same name and it deals with a post-apocalyptic world uh, where a virus the sick rips through humanity surprise surprise 
and it turns the world upside down into the post-apocalyptic turmoil and political strife that you would expect. Uh, but that's not so much the focus of the first few episodes. There's also another twist where at the same time that the sick is killing hundreds of thousands and millions of people, uh, new children, all new children are born part animal and they're called hybrids. They're not sure if there is a connection. People are assuming there's a connection, but no one really knows. This is just kind of presented to you as this is how it is. And this all happens in like the first 15 minute prologue, you know, to the, to the series. Uh, how mm. much animal to human ratio remains to be seen? I've seen more animal than human sometimes. I've also seen some very subtle things like a pig nose and ears, or uh, in the case of our main character, Gus, who is uh, also nicknamed Sweet Tooth, uh, the show name. Uh, he's got cute ears and antlers and there's nothing else. Like he doesn't have hooves. Like there's nothing else other than that, that indicates physically that he's a hybrid. Uh, but he has, um, night vision. He has nocturnal tendencies. He has a very good sense of smell. So there's all these different things that they work into his character that present some interesting twists. Um, the show follows a number of characters across the world uh gus being the main one uh is a hybrid deer boy raised by his father in isolation in the woods in order to protect him uh until his father passes away uh, then he is uh kind of shadowing slash tagging along with a character named tommy jeppard uh who is a former professional football player now kind of a loner slash enforcer and we'll call him an unwilling protector uh that's played by Nanzo azoni uh from game of thrones uh, and then, okay. yeah, the, the other, um, main character so far has been Dr. Singh, uh, played by ideal, uh, Akhtar, uh, trying to save his wife and find a cure for the sick. So those are all kind of like the mo motivations of what's going on. I've only just gotten into a character arc about a woman that's kind of sequestered herself inside a city zoo, but it's been so light that I don't really know the ins and outs of that yet. Um, Everything in these characters is kind of given to you by a narrator, which is really cool. It's almost like a storyteller. And the kind of tagline they use is like, most stories start at the beginning, but Gus's story starts here. And that's how they kind of introduce you to, you know, Dr. Singh or Tommy Jeppard hmm. or like whatever is going on. So it's been a really nice way of not having to go through any kind of backstory they just kind of give it to you in like a little five minute, like here's where this character came from and here's where they are now. And that's really all you need to know. We're just going to move forward from this point. Right. And, and it's just really, really montage. Yeah. And it's really like a comic book and it's really well done. It right. hooks you in and it's not a gory show, but it's not a kid show either. Like I don't really, I wouldn't watch this with necessarily a 12 year old. Like there are some mm. adult psychological things that happen like basically in the same way that you have in um uh walking dead y y humans basically becoming the worst versions of themselves when put in post-apocalyptic times is is basically what happens in this show um you're following the nice characters most of the time <laughs> right um, <laughs> but but there are some uh bad actors out there that are just like it takes the inhumane of humanity and amps it up to its next level um there are some despicable characters and i don't mean that in a bad way and i mean in a way that you're meant to hate them and they do a very good job of making you dislike them um it's like skin crawl sort of situation and stuff 
So um, I would really, really recommend the show. Uh, again, I, if you've got young kids, I, I would watch a couple episodes first to see like where you want to stick it because it has this weird appeal of being uh, like a kid's show because it looks kind of like a Harry Potter, you know, like because Gus, who's 10 uh, and is the main kind of like focus of the show incredibly acted by the way uh by christian convery who's a a great little actor uh and has a lot of like silent acting like they don't Mm. they don't give him a lot of kiddie lines they they give him some which helps like keep you at his age but a lot of the times it's this kind of sweet naivete of being raised in the woods and having no idea how the outside world works And what's interesting about that is that you as a viewer don't know how the outside world works either, because how can you, it's a post-apocalyptic like wasteland. Like no one that's watching the show knows until you get there. So you kind of go on that experience with Gus. And again, I'm only two to three episodes in, but I really, I have to highly recommend that people at least check it out and and see if it hooks you in because it's refreshing to find something unique to me, I know it was a, a DC comic series uh, before the TV show, but it's not like anything else I've seen on Netflix recently. It's not necessarily dark. It's just set in a dark time, but it's not the focus of the show, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and from what you've described, I'd say that the trailer itself is actually quite faithful to that. Because all I've seen is the trailer. Right. And exactly what you're describing is exactly the vibe I got from it. And I suppose with you saying as well, like with the montage that they have, they very quickly just kind of explain the situation that there is with this disease within about 10 seconds. And it's succinct enough for me to kind of already get a gist as to what's happening. So I can see pretty much why they've been able to do that. And they, and so far, even in, in three episodes, they've not called the virus anything other than the sick. Like, that's just what they call it. They don't get into like any medical, technical, scientific terms. They just kind of like, it's, you're kind of given the impression that there's so few scientists and health professionals left that not a lot of people even know what it is other than like the general population knowing how it spreads, how to deal with it and, and, and how harshly it affects communities. And that's it. Um, so, I mean, all that said, I'll give everybody a, a quick trigger warning that, I mean, it does have some extreme situations that uh, while aren't graphic, definitely highlight the worst parts of humanity when under the duress of a global pandemic, which probably sounds all too familiar for some people. So mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't give you the same vibe though, that like a film, like contagion, you know, or like those kind of things that were coming out on Netflix around the same time as obviously COVID-19 was, was, you know, spreading around the world. So it doesn't have that kind of realism to it. I think because of the whole hybrid thing, because of the gangs of kids and the, and the strange things that happen and the, um, we'll say kind of tongue in cheek narration of it all. It keeps it just outside of the realm of reality where there are still some signs that make a lot of sense. Like, you know, please keep physical distance, people wearing masks, like that kind of stuff feels all too familiar. Um, And in a way I find can be a little bit reassuring for me anyway, because I find it weird when I watch television shows and no one's wearing masks. Like it 
it it's weird like it feels like wow wait a minute why especially if it's meant to be realistic like if it's meant to be a, a drama or something like that and people are walking around in modern day and they're not wearing masks and doing things like when was this made like, like is it a period and, and piece thing, and, and if anything it's even more weird when it's been made during the pandemic when you know that behind the scenes they've had to have all these restrictions in place yeah um there was, there was a, a really good uh behind the scenes video that was only like 30 seconds or so just showing off some of the stuff that they were doing when they were filming the new season of star trek picard and just seeing all the crew in masks and all the, those kind of setups but just knowing that on screen there's none of that going on it's it's, it's weird it's, it's definitely weird so that's my quick recommendation this week uh, do you have anything on the the quick hit list uh yeah there's uh there's a couple of things which um I'm not going to go too far into either, uh, but there's Invincible, which you covered with Lou for yeah. episode 400, which is a show that I highly recommend, and I am so excited for the next season. Uh, a friend recommended it to me and said that I should watch it without knowing anything, and I, I do feel that's one of the best ways to watch it. Uh, but as a confession, for that very reason, I avoided episode 400 <laughs> of your show. So... <laughs> This is actually a good reminder that I need to go back and listen to that incredible <laughs> milestone episode because oh, I am man. really interested to hear your thoughts on it. So, yeah, um, I won't. I'll let yeah. I'll let you enjoy. I won't. I won't spoil it here. Plus, people have already heard it a couple of times. But uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I I think still a show worth looking at for sure. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, Stephen, our mutual friend Stephen and, and uh, co-host on on the show, uh, recommends the comics, which you can borrow from the library and read digitally. Oh, and he's seen it as well. Okay. Oh, there's people I can talk to about it. Yes, 100%. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Um, yeah, and the, the other one is one that I didn't even know about. Uh, I'm surprised I didn't know about it until now. Uh, it's a show called Future Man uh, that came out in 2017, and it's a time travel sci-fi comedy starring Josh Hutchison. It's not <laughs> child-appropriate at all, so I'm going to gonna give that warning out as well they establish some very adult and crude themes very quickly so at least there's no surprises later in the show it's like they set out from the from the get-go um but the first episode is almost misleading it deliberately leads you into thinking that it's a cheap rehash of things like ready player one and it has some really one note characters but this deception is deliberate and to me it's what i feel actually gives the show its scope it also doesn't shy away from references to the terminator um right down to whenever they're going to a new location even los angeles it's in the terminator font so they lean into a lot of the things that they're referencing and parodying which i'm kind of into so that's good for me but the main thing is that the show and the characters are constantly developing there is so much character growth and it just goes into directions that you just wouldn't expect. And it knows how to surprise and end on a cliffhanger. And I just ended up binging it in just a few days. I, I couldn't stop. I really couldn't. Um, but probably the most one-note character that you get right at the beginning turns out to be the one with the most depth and nuance. He's a total breakout character and I just love watching him develop all the way throughout. Um, so again, best enjoyed by knowing as little as possible before diving in and probably the thing that made me go into it, cause I saw there was only three seasons, but it was a show that was concluded, not canceled, which is a godsend these days. 
Mm-hmm. Normally, if you see like three seasons and that it's ended, you're like, huh, did it get canceled? I don't want to invest that time into it. But no, they, they actually wrapped it up and it was, uh, it was quite a satisfying end to it. It's a show that knows when to end. Which uh, is that happened to us uh, two weeks ago. And I don't even know if I mentioned it last week on the show with Lou, but I had to mention it in the comments when I posted the Sizzle Cafe to the YouTube channel, which is just another avenue that I provide for people for them to listen to the show. And that is that Jupiter's Legacy was canceled the day that we recorded the podcast and and Stephen <laughs> and I had not seen the article. And so I had texted him the next day saying like, well, there we go again. <laughs> and I won't repeat what he said because there was some... <laughs> There was some foul language involved, but he was like both of us that just like, even though it wasn't a perfect show, he said, well, it's a really interesting concept. We're really looking forward to seeing where it goes, especially with these characters. And then like, as we were saying this, the whole internet is going like, why did you cancel this show? And I just, I don't understand. Like Netflix throws so much money at these things. And unless they absolutely knock it out of the park in the first couple of days, they end up being canceled. And I, I just don't get it. Like they don't give it yeah. time to reach the masses. Like not everyone has time to sit down and binge the show week one, you know? Yeah. This, this is one of the things that I call the Netflix problem and mm-hmm. is why I canceled my Netflix subscription. I don't have Netflix anymore. And it's, um, the way that they approach it is unlike studios, um, that have their own platforms, they're not about the content as much netflix works on a revenue stream of pulling in new viewers and so when they release a show if they don't see a massive increase in viewership and so you'll have shows that will be successful and then people will start to watch them later but as they're being released if everybody's not watching it then they just cancel it and they move on and for them it's more they feel it's more impressive to have a large library of netflix originals rather than a carefully curated uh, smaller collection but that is high quality and complete but i am just i got tired and fed up of starting a show on netflix and every single show that i was enjoying was getting cancelled and like you said unless it's a big hitter like uh, stranger things um that's one of the few which will guarantee to to get wrapped up but the the others no it's it's really sad Well, speaking of Netflix, that actually brings us into the last uh, thing I want to mention on a quick hit list, and that is the incredibly effective hype trailer for Masters of the Universe Revelations. Uh, You would have to be under a nerd rock over the last week or so to have missed this trailer. And just today, before we started recording, I noticed that Netflix has put out another promotional video, which is a closer look at Masters of the Universe Revelations with showrunner producer kevin smith so Mm. uh that alone had me kind of like had my interest peaked um but when you dive into it and it has voice talent like mark hamill as skeletor sounds incredible lena hetty as evil lynn like we're talking about cersei lannister as evil lynn so right like (laughs) wrap your head around that um chris wood is he man he actually plays uh he's in smallville uh, not smallville um supergirl um i can't remember his kryptonian name or he's not kryptonian he's like the next planet over or something do you remember him he's married Uh, to um uh the the actor um chris wood is is married to uh, melissa benoist in real life um 
Anyway. Oh, uh, so right. He, yes. Yeah, so he plays He-Man. Uh, Liam Cunningham is Man-at-Arms, also Game of Thrones. And I believe Alicia Silverstone is Tila. Uh, I have the IMDb yes. open. I should probably check this. Anyway, like the voice talent is, uh, while okay, it's not just say, it's not necessarily like Hollywood elite. They're not trying to necessarily grab, you know, uh, your attention with the voice actors, but they're um, some good voices. They're not like, it's not like casting Brad Pitt as, you know, a voice or something like that. It's It's really... Uh, a little bit more nuanced than that. And I mean, like, really, you cast Mark Hamill as a cackling villain, and I'm probably going to watch the show. I'm also really impressed that they've got Tony Todd, who uh, is playing Scareglow. He has just one of the most incredibly deep voices. He's he's played Darkseid, um, and he was Zoom on The Flash as well. And he's also been in SG-1 as Lord Hycon, and also in Star Trek as both an older Jake Sisko and Kern. Worf's younger brother um so and he's just been in pretty much everything yeah i've seen him in a number of other uh, netflix uh cartoons as well yeah yeah he's one of those actors that you can't have missed (laughs) if you've if you've watched something you've seen him (laughs) i think he was the dragon in dota dragon's blood i think he was the original red dragon that the main hero fought yeah uh so from what i can tell and this is mostly coming from um the six minute video from kevin smith that i would highly recommend uh watching kevin smith is 50 and that puts him only a few years older than i am uh and he basically kind of come up comes on in in the video and says like look I wanted to take the original story as it was left off, as it was meant to design to just like to sell toys to kids in the 80s, but it did provide more than they originally set out to do. And I wanted to push the 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 story forward for the kids that grew up with it. So this is not aimed at kids these days. This is aimed at the mm. people in their 40s and 50s that watched Masters of the Universe when they were kids. And I think that that is the smartest move that they could have ever done. Yeah. And and having someone that is in, is as steeped in pop culture and comic culture and animation culture as Kevin Smith is, uh, while I'm not always a fan of his work, um, I do enjoy him like as a personality and as a podcaster and mm. as an excited individual when he gets to be around this kind of stuff. Uh, it's just, it's really hard to deny that he's passionate about it. And the way that he talks about the the story, he doesn't really reveal anything too spectacular. Like, I don't think he spoiled anything, but he does get into mm-hmm. why it's called Revelations. And it refers to um, the juxtaposition of He-Man and Prince Adam and Superman and Clark Kent, right? There are only a yeah. few characters in the show that know that He-Man is Prince Adam. And Tila in the original series is one of those characters that does not know. Man-at-Arms, her, I want to say it's her dad, um, as well as the Sorceress and Cringer, and I think Orko all, all know yeah. that that He-Man is, is Prince Adam. But Kevin Smith alludes to the fact that what if that secret got out? And what if that secret got out without He-Man's like, permission? Like, what if other people figured it out? What does that mean? What does keeping secrets and all that kind of stuff as far as adult relationships actually mean in a cartoon that's also set in like sci-fi space with swords and wizards. And I'm just like, okay, it's going to have all the nostalgia beats that it looks like it's going to have. Plus it's going to have what sounds like an intelligent plot, you know? And, and I really hope Mm -hmm. that 
the show is self-aware in that it has to be because you're talking about like some of the weirdest vehicles, some of the weirdest creatures, some of the stuff that makes absolutely no sense. You can't, you can't get more, we made this to sell toys than Masters of the Universe, right? Like if it was a cool idea for an action figure, they figured out a way to put the character in the show. <laughs> like it was just ham-fisted to the point where there's a character called Fisto. <laughs> you know, like there's, <laughs> there's a lot going on uh, in Masters of the Universe. And I mean, this was, um, as I mentioned on a recent episode of the Render Distance on Spawn Chunks, this was my first action figure was He-Man. I was five. It was my fifth birthday and I got a He-Man action figure. And I was all He-Man all the time until Ninja Turtles came out. And I was a little bit older for Ninja Turtles. And so like, I'm really looking forward to this to the point where I've started and I might actually continue and finish watching the original 80s cartoon that's on Netflix um, before mm -hmm. this comes out on July 23rd in about a month uh, to... And this is part one. So it sounds like, to your point earlier about, about shows being completed, it sounds like there's a one season that's got a part one and a part two. And Kevin Smith, even in this video, said like, even if they want me to come back to do a season two, so that's not confirmed yet. Because like, like, you know, as mm -hmm. you said, they probably want to see how many people come in to watch uh, season one. Um, but he was saying that he's so proud of part one or season one that he would be almost hesitant to do a season two. Cause he's like, I don't know how I would top it. And, and that to me from someone who I know from podcasts listening to him is a, is pretty hard on himself uh, as a creator yeah. that bodes well. Uh, the fact that it's got a nostalgia hit, but it's pushing it forward um, and if we're hoping that it doesn't get canceled by Netflix, the fact that it's aiming at a demographic that has the money to subscribe to Netflix, <laughs> right? Like you're talking about the 40 <laughs> to 50 year olds, right? Uh, yeah. and who are probably just as excited to watch themselves as they are to introduce their five-year-old and six-year-old kids to it. Right. So uh, yeah. like, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, have, I, I don't know, you're a little bit younger than me, but not by a whole lot. Like, did you get a lot of He-Man in the UK growing up? Was that part of your your oh, like rounds yeah yeah i i had so many he-man toys growing up i loved the show uh they were always been uh there was always wee ones of that um and it's it's funny with his analogy um of superman because most of the time he-man was he-man but i didn't have a superman figure at the time so in other times he was superman because of how muscular he was <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> i just got like this little red cloth that i would tie to him to make a cape <laughs> nice and uh so yeah so um and partly because i picked up on the whole uh he-man and adam being like uh superman and clark uh as a kid and it just it seemed to fit but yeah uh he-man absolutely loved skeletor was always an absolute riot um i didn't have castle grayskull but i had a friend who was fortunate enough to have castle grayskull uh so sometimes i go over and we, we play with that and so oh, ton of fun I had both actually. I had Grayskull and Snake Mountain. And Snake Mountain actually oh. came with a microphone that changed your voice. So you could like have this no. booming. Yeah, you could have this like booming kind of like, you know, um, threat from Skeletor echo across, you know, whatever your bedroom section you were playing in. And yeah, like there is a lot, a lot That's going cool. on. Yeah. And I... actually, all of this reminds me uh, you and I, I, I'm trying to remember the, the number of the podcast, but you and I did a, a show. 
here on the Citadel Cafe a couple of years ago now about a Canadian made um a Canadian made documentary called Masters of the or the Power of Grayskull, um, I think was the name of the um of the yeah, documentary. Two eighty five. 285 right i'll have a link to that in the show notes for people that are that are looking to go back and check that out um but that is one of the better documentaries it doesn't get into the drama it doesn't kind of like skew either way in terms of like who created he-man and all the kind of like infighting that was happening between hasbro and other artists and comic artists and stuff they really just kind of focus on the history the nostalgia and and everything else uh, about the the series and uh it's one of our i mean i think better you know discussions here on the citadel cafe uh to the point where Mm -hmm. actually one of the people working on the documentary wrote to the show to say thanks so much for talking about it and featuring it so very very cool and really nice to know that it was uh canadian produced at least on on some level um i don't remember all of it but like it's because it's been i mean it was september 6 2018 so we're coming up three years ago so <laughs> i don't remember what i had for breakfast last week so remembering podcast conversations from that long ago uh are um are hard to come by but yeah yeah i would i i'll have links uh in the show notes this week for all of these things really encourage people to go listen to uh, a closer look at masters of the universe revelations with kevin smith uh but also before you do that, just give yourself the minute and a half to watch the trailer, which is set to Bonnie Tyler's holding out for a hero, which was originally mm. released in 1984. Like it, pardon the pun, hits all of the right notes for the 80s vibe, like the nostalgia, the excitement, yeah. the the classic, like... I don't know how to just to talk about it, but like just the good feeling about heroic films in the eighties, like Rages of the Lost Ark, Star Wars, like the kind of, they were just doing things without being gritty or dark or like, they're just even, even the masters of the universe. When did that come out? Was that 91 or 89? The one with Dolph Lundgren. Do you remember? Oh, it was, it was definitely in the eighties. Um, I can't, I can't remember the exact year though. I'll try to find that out in, in the meantime. Um, but yeah, like all of that kind of stuff, like they just have that good kind of like 80s adventure vibe to it. And the music is really just one of the, the best <laughs> things about the trailer. <laughs> it sounds like such a silly thing, but like, you know that even though it's incredibly appropriate and incredibly effective, I can just imagine Kevin Smith giggling himself silly, knowing that this is the song that they've decided to use in, in the trailer. Like it, it really does uh, work magic for it. Absolutely, and I love that. Uh, you know, with it being, it's it's really good anime. It's uh, in terms of the animation style, but they've not completely reimagined how everything looks. Like the characters still look like the same designs from that original show. Yeah, it is it's just so faithful to the whole spirit of it, which is great. My only concern is that it's definitely an adult anime. Like you can tell from the way that the characters stand and move that it's got a lot of heavy anime vibes. I'm not the biggest anime fan as people are aware. Uh, so there are some things that are, I'm, I'm kind of crossing my fingers, maybe just be trailer related. Like there's a lot of awkward anime grunts happening uh, in the fighting. Like, uh, yeah. and there's also, um, I'm not a big fan of like, the over the top kind of like 
grin they give some characters when they do something really normally it's like super masculine and then they give them this weird kind of like joker grin and that to me does not sit well with he-man and there's a shot in the trailer where he-man kind of grabs something heavy and then grins like I mean you're more i'm more powerful than you thought and i just i don't dig that kind of vibe um I, several comments that i've seen from people uh on on places where i've shared the trailer um, in different places, people have had the same thing. Like, wow, He-Man's gotten a lot buffer than he was when he was in the 80s, um, which I think is just the style of the drawing. But they've also, typical with anime, they've given him a very pointy chin, which I find weird because in the 80s, He-Man had a very square head. It was very Conan the Barbarian kind of like heavy looking. And in this, he does have more of a pointy nose, like a, a finer features. And it does make him feel a little bit strange that he's got these big chunky muscles, but then also has this very angular, um, almost pointy appearance in some angles, not all of them. Um, but again, it's the trailer. It could just be like those couple scenes and it might not be a big deal throughout the entire series. Um, but um, so I'm trying to hang my anime uh, distaste on uh, on the door my way in and kind of like go at it in the way that I hope it's going to be um, something something that I'm going to enjoy. I've got the, I mean, 23rd is a Friday night, so I know what I'm doing that Friday night. There's going to be probably pizza, thanks to Dan who wrote in uh, and, and some He-Man happening on Netflix on that Friday. Moving on to the main discussion, we are going to talk a lot about Superman and Lois, uh, the new series from CW airing on CTV in Canada uh, and the Sci-Fi Channel, I think. Really, you can kind of get it wherever you want to subscribe to your online services, depending on who's carrying it and where. Uh, we will get into some spoilers, so if you are interested in the show and you have not watched up to the end of episode 9, episode 10 just came out last night and neither Alistair and I have watched it, but watching episodes 1 through 9, uh, we're both up to date. So we're not going to like spoil everything, but if we can, if we're going to talk about things, we're going to need to kind of usher in some ideas that might spoil some surprises. So just be aware of that before we get into the main discussion. Uh, but I need to thank you, Alistair, because when I saw the trailer for this, I was less than excited. I was just like, <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I mean, one, we both have a loss of faith in the CW in terms of their yeah. superhero shows like they've really dropped the ball across the board and uh, to the point where i haven't watched in a very long time which is too bad because I, there were a number of shows i liked like supergirl i really enjoyed yeah um i, I but, am self-punishing because i'm still watching the flash partly because i've invested so much time into it i need to know how it ends and i was really disappointed to find out they've been renewed for another season really yeah wow. i've not been in a position where it's like They've been renewed. Oh, I hate that because now it means there's another season I've got to watch. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> Just punishing myself at this point. Um, but Legends of Tomorrow, I completely bailed out on. Uh, I I decided to just check in on one episode just to see if it has improved. And when they have a killer alien robot arrive and decides to battle it out by doing a pop idol contest. Uh, you know, or like an American's Got Talent kind of thing, and is just singing and dancing on stage, and that's how he's trying to fight to conquer the planet. Nah, I, I, I couldn't. I had to jump out right in the middle yeah. of that episode. No, that that's it's, the kind of stuff where I'm just terrible. like, yeah, that's not. Well, it's not what your viewers signed up for, right? Like, you're. It's no. not. It's not what it's meant to be. I, um, I and, hope. This, 
I hope there's people out there that do enjoy it. I do hope that there's somebody that's uh, getting stuff from it and and that, uh, you know, I, I wish them all the best, but I, I can't. <laughs> yeah. At the very least, I hope the actors are having fun. Um, I know a yeah. number of actors that are involved in these shows all have musical backgrounds, so that might mm. mean that they get to stretch some legs that they haven't been able to do because they've just been earning a paycheck for a while. But um, I yeah. follow a number of people on, on social media from different CW shows, mostly because I like their personalities and they do fun content and they've got fun things that they like to share. And it's very seldom mm. about the show unless they're filming. And then you get a couple of behind the scenes things on like Instagram stories or whatever. But a lot of the times it's just them like living life and doing cool stuff and they're fun to follow. But yeah, it sucks when people get very excited. You can tell that the actors are really excited about getting back to work and getting back to the show. And then when you hear stuff like that, you're like, oh, I'd love to support you, but like, I just can't. I, I get, I get hmm. visibly angry <laughs> like when stuff like that happens <laughs> in my superhero shows. I'm so, I don't know. And, and I'll, and I'll eat my hat. I know I'm going to eat my hat because I say time and time again, what I want from a Superman cartoon or a Superman show is Superman stopping bank robbers or fighting Lex Luthor. And while I'm really enjoying L Superman and Lois, I keep on wanting to call it Lois and Clark, by the way, it's, I've caught myself a number <laughs> of times. Um, like, I have to thank you because you said like, look, it's not exactly what you think it is in the trailer. It's much better mm. done and much better acted. And you're right. So for anybody that's seen the trailer and went like, eh, I don't know if I want to give it a solid try. I watched the first three episodes in like one sitting and I was like, okay, all right. I'm, I know what it is. I know what it isn't. So my expectations are now tempered, but they're definitely different from what I got from the trailer. Uh, yeah. and, uh, I'm glad that I gave it a chance however i'm glad you did too <laughs> uh yeah and i want to get the bad stuff out of the way because i don't want to dwell on it too much it's a bad habit i have on the show um <laughs> the weakest part of the entire show is the superman villain stuff so as much as i want superman to fight a lex luther the facts that morgan edge might as well be twirling a mustache every time he opens his mouth <laughs> is horrible and I don't want to insult Adam Rayner. I'm sure he's a fine actor, but it's wooden delivery. It's stiff dialogue written. Like it is gross. The henchmen, the bad guys, anything Superman um, antagonist related is garbage and serves no reason other than to get Superman to do some zooms a couple times a show. And that's it. That's really the only reason that they, that they're there. I really wish that they had given like more, I don't know, just depth to and subtlety to some of the villains, because one of the biggest criticisms that you get with modern day Superman, you know, characters and or shows is that with all the social media and all the stuff that goes on, how the hell do people not know that Clark Kent and Superman and the reason that I, I bring that up is because we are watching Lois Lane in this show, try to uncover that Morgan edge is an evil son of a bitch. And I'm having the same reaction that most people have to the Clark Kent Superman thing where I'm just like, how does the whole world know post Trump that, that Morgan edge <laughs> is not a despicable human being? Like, I just don't <laughs> get that logic. It makes no sense that, Sam Lane, who is like head of the Department of Defense 
and has like, you know, anti-Superman weapons and all this stuff in his arsenal hasn't clued in <laughs> that Morgan Edge <laughs> is the biggest threat to humanity that the world has seen in a long time. Anyway, that that is the biggest thing that kind of makes my eyes roll. Everything else, mm. the stuff that I thought was going to make my eyes roll is more subtly done. Now, I say they smack you over the head with it in the first episode because they do. Um, but that's just CW saying like, we just need to get people up to speed in an episode because we're still traditional TV. Um, and that is the fact that Superman and Lois are married. They have two yep. twin boys, um, both of whom are like 14, 15, yeah, 14, 15 years old, uh, Jordan and Jonathan. And uh, Jordan, Jonathan is more of a typical like, you know, football star kind of like has all the things going for them. Handsome kid, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then Jordan is dealing with uh, extreme anxiety. Uh, he's shy. He doesn't fit in. He's um, not communicating well with his parents. So they, they introduced some, some different challenges to um, Lois and Clark as parents uh, in the show. And they really put that front and center in the trailer. So you think the entire show is going to be that, which feels kind of depressing um mm. and they do that up front in the first episode they hammer that home but very quickly it becomes part of the show but not the entire show which i think is a very smart move um yeah the the best thing for me about the show and and, and i want to get your feedback on this too mm. for me is is tyler hochen i think i hope i'm pronouncing his last name right um I really have grown to enjoy him as both Superman and Clark Kent. I was on the fence when he first appeared in Supergirl. Um, but um, I really like him. Really like him yeah. as, um, especially when he does, because he's not doing the Clark Kent that has to hide the fact that he's Superman. He's not doing the bumbling around the Daily Planet. Because uh, like, spoiler, he gets fired. So he's now at home on the farm. And... You get Clark. He's wearing glasses, you know, and pretending to have trouble lifting heavy stuff around the farm so people don't suspect anything. But he's Smallville Clark, not Metropolis Clark. And I really like the balance that that he brings there. It's fun to watch. Um, what, what's been your takeaway so far? Oh, I agree entirely because the way that he approaches it, especially as the kids only just find out now that he's Superman. They've grown up just knowing him as Dan, they had no idea about this um, this other side to his life. And so he's in this situation where he's able to be honest with his kids for the first time. Jordan is going through similar things that he did, so he's able to relate there. And it's the parental dynamic which is the biggest draw for me. You've got Superman in a situation that we haven't seen him in before because we're, we're so used to just the the reuse trip like you said of being a reporter at the daily planet you know we've seen a lot of stuff with him in smallville kind of developing powers uh we've seen the usual big battles and stuff we haven't suddenly seen him outside of that job role being fired being a father to two kids trying to deal with all this new stuff and trying to keep his relationship going um it's all just new and fresh uh, but it's still Superman. It's still Clark just in these new situations. And Tyler just nails it for me. 
Uh, and he just gives that vulnerability that you need from that character. And I, I totally believe him as, as being Superman. Yeah, I think one of the strengths that they bring in that relationship between his family and, and Clark is the same powerlessness that he had when his father had a heart attack. So yeah. they give you like a little brief flashback just to kind of refresh anybody's memory that wasn't, you know, aware of the Superman story. But Jonathan Kent, in most senses of, of the, the story, dies when Clark is mid-high school from a heart attack. And one of the things that kind of pushes Clark to, to become Superman and save people is that with all of the abilities that he can do, which he had or at least had most of when he was in high school, he couldn't save his dad. And the flip side here is that with all the things that he can do now that he's full on Superman has been for years, saves the world from nuclear disaster, bridges collapsing, asteroids, like you name it, and he can save the world from it. And yet he struggles to be a good father. And I, and I think that, and it's, and the fact that he's aware of that, you know, the fact that he's mm. trying, that he's failing and that he's succeeding is just so relatable. I would imagine to a lot of people that are fathers, uh, that it just brings Superman down to earth for the lack of a better pun. And it, yeah. it really makes him more of an identifiable character as well as being the fantasy character. Like I still watch the show and go like, Oh, I wish I could fly. Like just because they do it so well now with the exception of one rubber Superman section of a train chase that was really phoned in. Um, yeah. Even on my big TV watching the series, special effects now are so good for television shows for doing anything from like having Clark float a little bit above the ground. The fact that Superman can get in a fist fight with a bad guy realize that he's either matched or he has to like not hold back in this situation. And instead of just going at it, like in the old Superman shows where he'd have to just be feet on the ground and punch it out, he floats. Like he just says, all right, well, if I can't beat you or if I, if I have to up the ante and increase my power level here, he does the whole, like, by the way, and floats to be a foot taller than the other guy, you know? And it's just <laughs> like, Oh, okay. There's levels to this. And it's completely, completely believable like you don't think for a minute whether he's floating via cg or whether he's on a cable or what like it just it's so well done especially when the he's flying around like the breaking the sound barrier stuff like they could do that once an episode and i'd still not get tired of it i don't know what it is that the production quality is far beyond what they've done with the other previous cw hourverse shows so supergirl flash 100 cinematography is well done yeah, it is. It looks like a movie. It's also a much wider aspect ratio. Just the lighting, cinematography, it's it's really, really good. Like, they've gone all in with this. And uh, and it's also been called the new multiverse versus the Arrowverse, even though it is a spin-off from it. And that's because the uh, they had the crisis on Infinite Earth storyline, and this is an Earth that's emerging of Earth 38, Earth 1, and another one which Black Lightning was from, which is a show that I never actually ended up watching. Um, but they have now formed this new Earth. So correct me if I'm wrong, but at the end of the crisis on Infinite Earths, wasn't there something where like Lois calls Superman with like an earpiece 
and he's she's like aren't you coming home and he's like yeah 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 i'll be right there but then he met she mentions like the twins or something and he's like the what now like was that part yes. of that series yes it was because originally they had one child um but then when the earths merged that's when they ended up with twins right okay and so things kind of got muddled up there but it's good because it's really allowed it to to really spin off and i do love the name for for the twins as well the fact that he's named them after both of his fathers mm -hmm. so jonathan after jonathan kent and um uh then you've also got uh, jordan after joel and with you saying before as well about the dynamic uh that's there with him trying to be a father it's really cool seeing him talk to the grandparents as well and that whole dynamic because you've got Jorel's simulation in the fortress of solitude uh, sorry the fortress of solitude um he's played by angus mcfadden and i love how he has this instant shoot down of his own namesake because clark comes in for help and he's just like no jordan is half human and he's never gonna have the control that you have uh he's basically a lost cause and Clark's sat there going, no, that, that, that's, that can't be how this is. And he just continues to push to, to try and help his son. And then you've got General Lane as well, who is fantastic in this. Dylan Walsh. I, I, I think that him, his role helps push so much, not just from the relationship that he has with Lois, but just the way that he's trying to defend the planet against what would happen if superman went rogue and then the discovery of of that and how angry it makes clark yeah and they do that in a very subtle way and yeah. i lo i love the line that uh when clark like basically there's an attack on the department of defense superman is there and he has to go down into the basement to try to stop some dangerous person from kidnapping uh, a character that's playing um, Captain Luther slash um, John Henry Irons, who is Steel from the comics. Again, more of this multiverse crossover stuff, which I hope they don't get too far into because I find that really convoluted and just kind of makes it just makes like the mustache twirling even worse because everybody has like an evil <laughs> doppelganger. I don't want them to go that mm. road. Um but I, and I don't think there will because that's the kind of plot that des deserves more of the show and they can't do mm. that. They really only give the Superman stuff about 30% of the show. The family dynamic on the farm, what Jordan Kent is going through is really 60% of what's going on. Um, like it's the, the stuff that draws me in a lot more as well. Yeah, anyway. oh, 100%. I mean, they keep the Superman stuff up because you have to have something to continuously pull Clark away. Like they have to have mm. that yank, you know? Um, but yeah. anyway, Superman is about to go rush down into the basement and Sam Lane has to say, actually, you can't go down there. And Clark's like, or Superman's like, uh, so that's where you're keeping your kryptonite weapons. Okay. Like, and at the end of all of this, there's like kryptonite gas and there's all this kind of stuff that leads actually and bleeds over into several episodes, which is very cool. I'm glad that they're not mm. necessarily wrapping things up episodically. They do, but there's always something that then pushes through to a, a longer arc in the series anyway yeah superman is on the recovery table after you know letting the kryptonite stuff do its course and whatever 
and has a, a heart to heart with uh, with Sam. And at that point, despite the fact that they're at the DOD, they are alone, and you can tell that it's Sam and Clark talking, not Superman and, and General Lane. And mm. just in terms of their their stature, and Clark just still like he puts that Superman voice on just long enough to say like trust goes both ways Sam and you're just like oh that's like your dad saying that I'm disappointed in you I'm not mad <laughs> like it's just <laughs> it is heavy it, exactly. and you and Sam Lane reacts appropriately like he doesn't just bravado his way out of it he's just like shit <laughs> like I just I really stepped in this and uh <laughs> I'm curious to see where that goes because as you said, they give Sam Lane more depth than you would normally expect from a CW show. Normally, Sam mm-hmm. Lane would be by the books, military, bravado, machismo, nothing else. There would be no depth to his character whatsoever. But when Lois rips a strip off him, it hurts. You know, like when yeah. when his grandson is the one, uh, Jonathan, who doesn't have any powers, is in danger. He's, he's there and risking his life to save them, despite the fact that he just had a huge falling out with Lois. Like there's a lot going on that you have to kind of keep track of. And um, to go back to the boys, one of the other dynamics that I find really interesting is that despite the fact that if you were a Smallville fan, you can see the patterns of power of the week combined yeah. with teen angst and drama of the week. Are they happening at the same time? Of course they're happening at the same time. It's, I get, uh, I get frost breath or I get, I get new hearing and I have to play my first football game or I get frost breath and I'm supposed to have help a friend out at the talent show. Like there's just the stupid, just, you know, stuff that they do for teenage shows that you just, all hell has to break loose at the same time. However, the thing that keeps me invested in those stories is the fact that it is the, emotionally unstable kid Jordan who's dealing with these powers and it is the up until this point the perfect son you know the football star the popular kid the handsome kid Jonathan who now has to deal with being jealous of his twin brother who is getting more confidence is getting superpowers and Jonathan is now sacrificing his life and trust with others because he has to lie to cover for his brother and the fact that they can get mad at each other, but they can still come down in a realistic way. It's not an after-school special. Like, mm. they'll say stuff like, um, sorry, I almost got you killed or something like that. In a way that brothers tease one another about that kind of stuff. Not in a uh, in a way that feels like a soapboxy kind of like, is it okay if I talk with you about my feelings? Like, it's just, there, there are some times when that happens with the parents, like some of the lines they give to Clark and Lois to tell to their kids, you're like, oh, come on. Like, this is, this is 1990s TV. Please do better than this. But it doesn't happen that often. Um, but I find it doesn't happen at all with the boys, which is nice. There's, there's two conversations in particular uh, from Jonathan that really kind of highlight what you were saying in terms of how he's having to deal with things. There's one conversation that he has with his mother and Lois is kind of pointing out about what her role has been being the partner of Clark slash Superman and how she's had to try and keep the family together and keep the secret and and so on and how he's having to go through the same and really she's just kind of letting him know like you are not alone in this even though you feel like you're the odd one out 
because of what Jordan's going through and because he has these powers that he shares with your father, that's not the case because we're in this together. And if anything, she's now got a team player on her side as well. Mm -hmm. You know, so the, the family's kind of um, is balanced in a way from that. And the other conversation that I thought was really cool was when General Lane is trying to, after he's been rejected by Lois, by Clark, and he's had all of his concerns with Jordan, he tries to appeal to Jonathan. He tries to appeal to him and get him on his side. And Jonathan sees right through it and knows exactly what Lane, what General Lane's up to and just uh, just completely shoots him down. It's oh, a, calls him a coward. Yeah. No, it was. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those moments where you're just kind of like, wow. Also, yeah, like, good for you, kid. Like, it's yeah. it's it's a nice switch. I mean, in a way, they do sort of play. They write Jonathan and Jordan a little bit older than they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be 14, I think. And I I think they're a little bit a little bit older than that. I mean, they do have a superhero for a dad. So, like, you kind of have to grow up pretty fast, I guess. Uh, when you've got people, you know, chasing your dad around trying to murder everybody with kryptonite. Like there's there's a lot going on that they have to kind of like wrap their heads around, including like multiple Earths and like different dimensions. And there's a lot, a lot to sink in, you know. And and you can, in a way, you could also argue it's set in Smallville. And when you think back to the old show, that's kind of exactly what that was as well. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of teenagers who were definitely a lot older. And um, as a quick aside, uh, Jordan's black curly hair feels very reminiscent of season one Clark from Smallville as well. I see a mm -hmm. lot of parallels there just from his his look. Yeah, there are, there are some, I guess, drawbacks, I think, to some of the things that Jordan is going through. And I, I don't want to necessarily lay it at the feet of, um, of the actor because I think both of the actors playing Jonathan and Jordan. Uh, Jordan is Alex Garfin. I don't remember Jonathan. Jordan... Elsa's, I think. Anyway, um, hmm. both very good actors. A lot of great screen presence. I do find sometimes that, and probably by design, uh, Jordan, it tends to be whiny dialogue. And it's it's lessening as the show goes on. And I hope they lean into that a little bit more because I find it much more effective when he's complaining about the stuff that he's going through in an open emotional conversation rather than hmm. rather than the the it's better when he talks about it with another character on the show rather than them trying to convey it to the audience when he's alone when he's alone and he just looks weepy and it just it feels uncomfortable and unaccessible whereas when he's having a heart to heart with uh Sarah Cushing who is um Lana Lang is her maiden name. Cushing is her married name. But Lana is in the show. And um, when Sarah Cushing and um, Jordan Kent are having heart-to-hearts, it's a lot more revealing as characters because they're comfortable with one another. And and so you get a little bit more of a clear communication. It still has a sadness to it if something is hard to deal with or you know they're hmm. dealing with you know mental illness or whatever. But it's it's a much clearer way without layering what I feel is kind of a stereotype on top of it, which is what I think you get when it's just Jordan. Uh, but again, I don't want to say anything bad about the acting. I think it's just a matter of the direction and how they want to try and convey those things. 
um, to the audience. Yeah. Uh, by the way, um, and I, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce her name right, but uh, Indy Navarrete or Navarretti um, as Sarah Cushing, fantastic actor. Like I really enjoy um, her screen presence mm. as well. Like there's there's quite a few young people in the show that are scene stealers when they have a moment to confront their parents, deal with something heavy at school, um, <laughs> deal with new superpowers, whatever it is. Like, I really enjoy, even though Jordan Kent gets, uh, we'll say, a little wrapped up in and scared of some of his new abilities, I also really enjoy the fact that he's a 15-year-old kid that's getting superpowers. And he is kind of stoked about it. <laughs> like, after he starts <laughs> to realize, okay, this isn't going to kill me, he's just like, huh, cool. I can hear stuff across town. This is both good and bad, but cool. <laughs> like it's just, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I would highly oh. recommend it. I don't know where it's going. The, the latest episode, uh, aired last night. There was a big cliffhanger at the end of episode nine, uh, dealing with Morgan edge, which I was not thrilled about. I was like, Oh, could you phone in a better plot? Like it's, just, it's just, it's a little bit on the nose for me. They're revealing that Morgan Edge is either from Krypton or is a reincarnation of someone from Krypton. It smacks of Zod. I'm not really sure. I'm not sure what this I'm hoping is. It's, I'm hoping it's not Zod. Me too. I, I really am hoping that it's not because, again, me that's too. just overdone. Um, I, For me, I just kind of keep thinking that the whole Krypton side of the storyline is more to add the strain on the family dynamic but that is the focal point yeah and this is the stuff that kind of has to happen in the background to change up what's happening for the main focus so it's not kind of like a lot of shows where you would have the villain as like they're the big bad they're the thing that we're focused on for the show yeah. so i'm not as bummed out by it but i i definitely agree with you in terms of <laughs> how they're doing things. it's it's a fine line that they're walking and i'm not sure which side of the rope they're likely yeah, to lead into yeah i mean right so. down to the fact that morgan edge is a billionaire that moves to smallville and starts providing jobs for the locals who all think yay while everybody's screaming no this is gonna be bad does that <laughs> sound at all familiar oh i don't know smallville lex luther lex luther's son lionel luther like it, it's it's the same like they really did not stretch very much <laughs> Which is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, I th I think that's one of the things that they've kind of painted themselves into a corner with, and that is Superman in this show is extraordinarily powerful. Like he can hear things across the planet. He can be there in the blink of an eye. And I understand that Superman is supposed to be super, but I feel like they've given him so much power that they have to introduce super powered Kryptonians to even challenge him. And I, I think that's an unfortunate thing. I wish they had maybe dialed back Superman to the point where like, yes, he can lift a plane and, and save the day, but I'd still like my Superman to be, oh, I don't know, limited by time and space. You know, like you can only travel so hmm. fast before like <laughs> your atoms just won't move that quickly. You know, uh, hmm. I, I like that he can zoom, zoom off and save the day, but just the fact that he can hear everything across the planet from the farm to me is just a little bit OP. Like it feels out there even for superman which is weird to say out loud when you you know but it there's it's a, just a gut feeling you know like i kind of prefer uh, I, things to be a little bit more neutral you know yeah i, I get it because like when lois and clark came out the new adventures of superman mm -hmm. it was um it kind of got to a point where the only thing that would 
harm him was just the fact that every villain had access to kryptonite. And that's pretty much what it ended up relying on a lot of the time. Um, but the thing that really drew me to Smallville was that Clark didn't have all his powers. He still had limitations. Mm. And that, I thought, was so much better than this big invincible being. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I can I can totally see where you're coming out with that. Um, they could they had an opportunity too where they smashed all those earths together like they could have like in this new earth where all of a sudden superman had twins and had to deal with all this other stuff going on in smallville they could have also said oh by the way this version of superman like is not as powerful and especially if he was used to being powerful and then realized oh crap i can't do that anymore um they did that I, a little bit actually with um I can't remember what episode it was, seven or eight, where it was after he was exposed to the kryptonite gas and he went to go stop a bank robbery in Mexico or something. Yeah. And uh, he was shot and he didn't penetrate him, but it hurt him. Like he was being hit and he, they later show him in the kitchen with his shirt off and he's all bruised. And Lois is like, what the hell happened? He's like, I got shot. And he's like, he's almost <laughs> laughing about it. Like what the hell is going on? And he's like, he's out of breath. He's still doing super things, but he's taxed by it. And I like those kind of limitations. They did it really well hmm. in, um, the adventures of Superman, the cartoon where like, if you grab a plane by the wing, the wing rips off. Like you have to, you're, you're limited by the structures of things you're trying to lift and physics and stuff mm. like that. You can't just grab something and lift it out of the, out of the trouble. You have to kind of do it in a way that's interesting. And they even did it in, in that rubber train scene chase that I was talking about where like he lifts the train, blasts the tracks with his eye beams and they all magically melt back into place. <laughs> Like how, how does that work? You know, like that stuff was a little bit science. Strange. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, like I get that he can heat things up, but like, how do you move stuff with your mind? Like it was a little bit, it felt, it felt like something that you'd see from like Phoenix and X-Men, right? Like not Superman. Anyway, um, yeah. small, small little things like that sometimes, but that's, I'm a big Superman fan. So you get, you get your knickers in a bunch about like little things like that, but overall highly recommend the show. Uh, give it a chance. Um, and, uh, I'm glad I did. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you picked it up as well. Um, I, I just remember our conversation, like I was really kind of hyped about it. And it's what didn't you just like, I saw the trailer. It's not that good. I'm like, no, no, you need to, you need to yeah. see it. And so I'm glad you did. I, there's one final thing. I have a feeling that the reason why they may be pushing so hard to him being completely OP is because they are starting to toy around with the idea of what if he turns? Because at the beginning, it's like, well, he's not going to turn. He's mm -hmm. Superman. But it feels like they're leaning towards more things that might possibly push him to maybe turn. And if you have somebody that's that OP that isn't on our side, like the visions that we've seen from um, uh, from the other guy's memories of, of his Earth, then that becomes a very scary prospect. So there's certainly different directions they can go in, which... Uh, which will be very interesting to see. Yeah, it it does look like they're going down the direction of like, you know, Krypton was meant to conquer Earth. Like they just, they, you get the feeling that Superman and, and Jor-El were the outliers. They were the do-gooders of their society and most other Kryptonians would just basically plunder and rule if they had the chance. Uh, mm. It's similar to the, the Zod plot from Man of Steel with um, 
uh, Zack Snyder directing. Like it just, it, yeah. it just feels, it takes the higher civilization and, and the strive for more out of the Kryptonian ethos, which I think is unfortunate because I, I like that kind of like crystal city in the sky sort of idea, but mm. you know, we'll see where it goes. Like again, um, it's that to me is, is again, it's the subplot to it all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on into the Internet Minute, which is, of course, brought to you by you. The Citadel Cafe is 100% listener supported. If you're getting value out of the show, please consider putting a little bit of value back in. You can become a member at patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. Joining at any level will invite you to the member-only Discord, as well as give you access to bonus episodes on the Patreon page. Patreon count is up to 24 as of this morning. That's up one from last week even. Our goal, of course, is to reach at least one more patron than we have the month before. If you would like to be number 25, visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe and join at a tier that works for you. My pick this week is once again Lego. Lego has released a typewriter. It's set 21327. Uh, you can find that at lego.com. It is a Lego idea set that has made its way into the main production line. And it is available to VIP members early access as of today, June 16th. Whopping 2,079 pieces. Also a whopping $269 Canadian. It's not a small build. It's 11 by 11 inches by 5 inches tall. And while it doesn't actually type the hammers of the key moves all the keys can be depressed with a realistic kind of uh typewriter action and feel uh it can have a small note kind of fed into it as you type the um the paper bar moves across the the typewriter it has a design that is mid-century modern it's kind of like a 60s green <laughs> looks like a shag green sort of thing um very very cool looking uh, there's some custom keys. It introduces a new fabric element to Lego, which is the first. There's all kinds of information on the website. Uh, and uh, what I like so much about it is that it's detailed in that there's no stickers. Each letter on the QWERTY keyboard is actually printed on the Lego piece. So you don't have to go in with the with the decals later and, and add things in. Uh, it has real inner workings. It's using a lot of Lego Technic pieces to have things actually work as you type. Um, it's just the same hammer going up and down. It's not like it actually uh, will type anything or that there's multiple things going on. But boy, oh boy, like it is, I'm not even really a writer and this is an appealing build to me as just a really aesthetic thing to sit on your shelf or your desk. And I would say like a must get for that special someone in your life that's a writer. I was just having a look at some of the pictures. It's It, it looks incredible. So what is your pick this week? It's a video from Corridor Crew on YouTube where they've uh, they've released a video called This 30-Year-Old Terminator VFX Blew Our Minds because it's the 30th anniversary of Terminator 2 that's uh, that's coming up. Is it? And I am I am yeah. old, man. <laughs> I know. When they mentioned that, I was just like, oh, God, yeah. I, I felt exactly the same. Um, I mean, I remember that coming out, so... <laughs> but they try to recreate the scene of the T-1000 walking through the bars at the mental hospital. And um, when he gets the gun kind of caught in it as he's trying to sort of get through. Mm -hmm. And they do so by exploring two different approaches. So you've got two guys doing it. One of them 
does a more traditional approach and the other one does how they would do it today. And then they compare them. And it's really neat just seeing, you know, the pros and cons of both methods. methods. And it really highlights just how astonishingly good the original effects were and how the more generic it can do everything software of today versus the bespoke software that they wrote for the film uh, really results in effects that in a lot of cases won't ever be as good as some of the effects of yesteryear. It's a really intriguing kind of look into that stuff and, and also kind of shows why you have a movie like Terminator 2, which just looks perfect. And then you look at more modern Terminator films and they don't look as good. They do look a little uh, more fake and not as grounded in reality. And so it gives you that kind of insight and it's a really worthwhile video watching. I think one of my favorite things about visual effects these days and one of the more effective uses of the technology are things like what they do on The Mandalorian where most of the effects are actually meant to give an environment and put mm. the the players in a space that they're not necessarily in and allow a real alien environment to be communicated to the viewer. Whereas the ray guns and the sword fighting and all that kind of stuff are all practical effects and stunts. And I feel like it makes a big difference when, you know, the, yeah. the two people are actually connecting in the screen. Like they're not, you're not fighting a necessarily a CG version of an alien. You're fighting an alien or as a dude in a suit, or at least for the shot of the close up of the alien hand, you know, sword hitting, you know, whatever it's hitting, uh, you can feel the impact, you know, in, in the actors. Whereas if they cut away to, you know, um, a CG character, it's not quite as uh, as impactful. And I feel like when you start combining the two, which they did as, as long ago as Lord of the Rings, where they were combining practical effects, models, back painting, backdrop paintings, and and uh, like matte paintings and then special effects on top of it i feel like the marriage of all of that is really the way to go and i find hmm. like you said very often tv will rely uh too heavily on on cg stuff um i've seen some films and stuff on netflix that are a lot of cg but they actually they do a pretty good job um what i'm really interested in seeing is where um animation is going because I've seen some trailers recently for some newer animation stuff coming out. Netflix, there's new Disney Pixar trailers out. And while they're cartoons, they're just able to do more of that rendering and realistic movement of things like trees and wind and clowns and hair. And it stops looking like, oh, this was made in a computer to like, I'm just watching a story. And when that kind of stuff starts to fade into the background, um, especially with visual effects, uh, like I said, with most of the stuff on, on Superman and Lois, they really do um, a, a good job of keeping that in the background. Like you're focusing on what the characters yeah. are doing and feeling, not necessarily how Superman looks when he's flying across the sky. Um, and I like I like these um, the YouTube channel Quarter Crew. It's a fun, it's a fun channel. They they break down some stuff and they you can tell that they have some honest responses and they're not afraid to surprise themselves and say like, well, we were wrong, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Citadel Cafe. A long one this week, but I hope you enjoy. You can get more information about the show and links to some of the things that Alistair and I talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can email us at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com, just like Dan, or find the show by name on Twitter. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. 
Word of mouth is the easiest way to support the show. Just tell a friend about the Citadel Cafe and where they can go to listen to it. My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio at joelduggan.com. You can listen to my other podcast about Minecraft at thespawnchunks.com. And of course, you can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I'm streaming Minecraft and building a medieval city on the Citadel server. Alistair, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me at alistairmcfly.com. Uh, you can also check out my podcast at longrangesensors.com. We're also coming up to our 10th episode, which is going to be a special that we're calling an away mission. And uh, so we have some some fun stuff planned for that there. You can also find me on Twitter on both at imcfly. And then for more of my streaming stuff, you can find me at alistairmcfly. And talking of streaming, you can see me there on twitch.tv slash alistairmcfly where sometimes there's a Joel because the Citadel. You've been listening to the Citadel Cafe where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two.